0: We're going to uh, be in Matthew chapter 24. We've been studying the commands of the Lord. Jesus in the Great Commission not only said to teach all nations that making disciples, but those that are saved, that were to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. There's many commands in the New Testament, but we're looking just at the imperative verbs, the commands that are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's about 50 of them. I don't know if we're going to cover them all. But we find uh, in verses 42 and 43 uh, some specific commands today, but we're going to begin in verse 36. Matthew 24:36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Nothing supernatural or extraordinary, in verse 38 he's just saying that people were living their lives. They were marrying, they were eating, and they're drinking, they're going about their daily affairs. And then Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore. Here's our command. Watch, therefore. So you and I are commanded to be, be alert, be watchful. For you know not what hour your Lord doth come, that we should be prepared for his coming. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, another command, to watch and then to be ready. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And so, uh, we have the clear command from the Lord that what we should be looking for daily, hourly, is the coming of the Lord. And he also says that we ought to be ready. Now, because of uh, some misunderstanding about these passages, we're not gonna really get so much into talking about readiness. But I want to uh, look and talk about uh, the, the coming of the Lord and what that is really uh, talking about. <clears throat> and uh, I'll probably read most of this this morning. Now before we get into the seriousness of these commands, we need to understand a bit about the return of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Actually, Christ's return is quite confusing unless we understand that his second coming is really in two phases. And so, this chapter, chapter 24 and 25, is about the end of the age. But this chapter begins with uh, the disciples on the Mount of Olives asking Jesus about when he's going to come back. Verse 1 of chapter 24, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, for to show him the buildings of the temple. And that structure was magnificent, great stones in it. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so they're thinking about that. And as they set up on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, tell us, ask asked two questions here. Tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so Jesus is going to address that. And from verse 4, All the way to verse uh, 35, he gives different indications of what's going to be preceding his coming. Uh, There's going to be many people that are deceivers. Verse 4, he says in verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in direst places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. And so he says there's gonna be wars, and we've had a lot of wars in the history that, that record, in recorded history, it seems like that there are even today more famines, pestilences, COVID, earthquakes, even in places that are not normal. And then in verse eight, he says, uh, "He says, uh, he says, the beginning of sorrows." And that's an interesting word, and it really helps us to kind of understand uh, the passage better. The word sorrows is uh, is is uh, the word that refers to birth pangs. And having had eight children, I know a little bit about that. You can have um, you can have contractions in the latter part of your pregnancy that are that are. Uh, just contractions, they don't mean anything. And so the contraction is there, and then quite a bit later, another one, maybe a day later, and then when you get down, there's there maybe a couple a day or three or four, and and then they get more and more and more and more. And then it almost seems like it's just a constant contractions. And that word, that's the word here, and what it's saying is that what i believe it's saying is that when the time of the lord's return is closer that these pestilences these earthquakes will be more frequent and one of the things about uh, about the latter part here too is that the increase in intensity that there's a point where they get real serious because of the 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 uh, intensity of the pain and so <clears throat> That's an interesting word, and an interesting phrase in this uh, whole context of him talking about his return and then he uh, talks of, he gets down to um, where our passage is this morning and he and he asks us to uh, Be ready and watching. Now what's interesting about this, when it says, uh, uh, one shall be taken and the other left. There shall be two in the field, verse 40. Then there shall be two in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill and the one shall be taken and the other left. When you read this in the context, and the, the, the disciples were asking as Jewish men, they were asking when God's gonna start, come back and set up his kingdom, which is gonna be a Jewish kingdom. And, uh, you know, for years growing up in church, I always thought, well, this, this is the rapture. The one's gonna be taken and the other left. But in this context, as, as we're going to work our way through this, you see, he gives the example, as in the days of Noah, so shall coming of the Son of Man be. In the days of Noah, who was left? Well, it was the righteous people that were left. Who were taken? It was the ungodly people that were taken. And so, during, this, during, the, during the second coming of the Lord, the people that are gonna be taken, remember where they separate the goats from the sheep? The people that are gonna be taken are going to be the lost people. But then, uh, what about you know, the tribulation and going through the tribulation? Well, actually, there's, a, there's two things that, that takes place. Just as when the Lord came, uh, the first time there was two there's two things, two appearances. Uh, I mean, He's coming again, but uh, uh, there's going to be what is called the rapture of the saints, and then there's going to be what's referred to as the second coming. I I don't have time to, you know, go through all of this, but there's going to come a day in time when when the Lord is going to come and all the saints are going to be taken in the rapture. This is the beginning of a seven-year period that's called the Great Tribulation. At the end of that seven-year period Jesus is going to come back down to the ground the thousand year reign will begin, and then after the thousand year reign, eternity. This morning all I wanted to do is show and talk to you about the fact that that the references according, that reference to the Lord's return, that they're not always the same. You can't put them all in the same box or basket or bucket. There's, uh, there's some differences. And uh, as we say there in the middle, the second coming of Jesus is not one, but two parts. Part one is an event that has been, come to be called the rapture. At this time, Jesus will call all those who have received Him as Savior to come home to heaven. At this time, He will raise those believers who have already died, you know. Take those who are living onto heaven to be with Him forever. The second part will take place around seven years uh, after part one. This event will see the return of Jesus in glory and power. He will send upon the world, and all will de- and will defeat all of His enemies, and will establish His kingdom upon the earth. He will personally rule and reign, and he will personally rule in peace and harmony for a thousand years. And so both of these events would require uh, being ready. But in the context, it's only it's talking about the second coming. But nevertheless, you and I should be ready for the first coming. So what I wanna do here, Is just um, look at some verses and show you that they're talking about two different events, and uh, and they can't be the same thing. If you turn the page, the rapture. Now I know that uh, because this is going to be you know a rapid. A rapid pace through here, and basically, I'm just going to read scripture. There's some people like my wife. I told her this morning, You need to, you know, let somebody else teach your and it's going and come over today, and we're going to be talking about the second coming. <laughs> and she's, ah, you know, it's all too confusing to her. She doesn't want to, she doesn't even want to try to wade into it. And, and, um, and, don't let yourself be that way, at least um, look at these verses and know that there's some, there is a way to try to make them compatible and that is to sow two different comings. The rapture is when Jesus Christ returns to remove the saints from the earth the rapture he described in First Thessalonians four thirteen and First Corinthians fifteen. And so let's look at this. He said, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow even sorrow not even as others which have no hope." And so, the, the believers at Thessalonica were wondering, "What's going to happen to those people who are died, who have died, and are buried?" And he says, "For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him." Interesting, interesting verse here. They're asleep in Jesus, but He's bringing them with them. Now, what's that about? They're all they're all just sleeping when they come. No, the word sleep has to do with the body. Instead of using the word dead. In, with relationship to saved individuals, they're said to be asleep in the grave. And when he comes back, he's bringing them with him, the souls, the spiritual side of them. And they're going to, at this point, receive a new body. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words and so the wording here is that the Lord's coming back and he's coming back what's mentioned in this verse is that when he comes back he comes back in the air, it doesn't mention that he comes to earth, that the the saints are going to go up and it's going to be, they're going to be forever uh, be with the Lord. Let's look at what 1 Corinthians says in 15 and 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption And so there's gonna be a new body. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, So when this corrupt corporal shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory. And so believers who have died will have their bodies resurrected along with believers who still are living and meet the Lord in the air and this will occur at a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Um Uh, some, I'll, I want to make a comment, I'll, I'll do it a little later. I want to make a comment on when it says the last trump here. <clears throat> now, let's, let's look at the second coming. The second coming is when Jesus returns to defeat Antichrist, to restore evil and establish his millennial kingdom. It's described in Revelation. And so the, what's described in the rapture is a meeting in the air. Now, look at what is said here. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Pronouns for Christ. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and upon his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, and he hath on his vesture, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And so, in this case, it's not a meeting in the air, but he's coming back, and he's coming back with an army. And. Uh, it doesn't really even seem that, that when he comes back, to, there's going to be much of a, a war, not much of a battle. He's going to smite them with the sword of his mouth. Now look at my comments here. The important difference between the rapture and the second coming. At the rapture, believers meet the Lord in the air. They which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At the second coming, believers return with the Lord. He says there in the armies, in verse 14, and armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Well, it doesn't say that of believers, it just says that this army is clothed in fine linen, white and clean, but if you back up a little bit in Revelation 19, back to verse eight, It tells us in Revelation 19 and 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so because of that phrase, uh, we believe that this army that's coming with him is going to be the saints that have been raptured, that we get to ride out of heaven with him. And a war is going to take place, quickly ended. And he's going to rule with righteousness. Think about that. No more corrupt government. No more... What should I say? No more... um, turmoil in the world because of Satan and his power. What Jesus is trying to say, and we're going to hammer it more next week, but Jesus says uh, we need to get ready for his coming. There's a couple reasons for that. One is, uh, we surely wouldn't want to be involved in something that's dishonoring to God when He comes. Mm. And when I grew up, we had a little little pantry off of the kitchen, and uh, and I loved uh, soda crackers. And I could go in there and eat a whole, you know, little packet of them. And uh, sometimes mom wouldn't care. It seemed like, I think she spoiled me more than the rest of the guys. But but sometimes she did care. And you didn't want to get caught when she was caring have your hand in the soda crackers or your hand in your cookie jar. And, uh, you know. It's it's silly because the Lord sees everything we're doing all the time. But wouldn't we want to be involved in doing what we're supposed to do when the Lord comes back? And so that's one side of it. But the other side of it is this. When uh, evil grows more and more in this world. Uh, I, was, I was born in the middle of the last century, 1950. There's only one more guy in here that's that old. <laughs> when, I went to, when I went to high school, all the girls wore dresses. I remember a boy from Portland, Oregon, uh, got in trouble and they sent him out to Fossil, a little town of 500, to uh, stay with his grandmother. And when he came, he, he, had his, he had a nice short haircut around the ears and the back, but he had bangs down to here. And that was the age of the Beatles. As soon as he arrived, the the principal called him into the office and said, if you don't cut your hair, you're going to get kicked out of school. (laughs) That ages me, doesn't it? But there's other greater examples that show that this world has got more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt. And the great thing, not only the Lord coming should make me want to stay in his will, but it also tells me, hey, you know what? This too will pass. We're not going to have to put up with this forever. Mm -hmm. That the Lord's going to come and rule in righteousness. That the Lord's going to come and the lion will lie down with the lamb. The Lord's going to come, and it's going to be such a where where uh, where right is prominent, and those who resist righteousness will be judged. On the next page, we First Thessalonians five nine. We have a little clue here, because. Verses six through nineteen. I mean, chapter six through nineteen of Revelation talks about just terrible event after terrible event. Even there's even going to come creatures out of the ground that that look like locusts. They have they have uh, locust heads and they have stingers and they're going to be able to be able to attack people, sting people. It's gonna be so painful that they're gonna desire that they could die and the rocks would fall upon them, but they can't escape it. The time of tribulation, when you read about it in those chapters, it's a horrible, horrible time. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter five and verse nine, he says, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The time of tribulation is going to be a time of great wrath. And as he's talking to the church at Thessalonica, he said, God's not appointed you to go through that. He's not saved us to go through that time of wrath. He saved us, you know, not only to escape hell, but he's not going to make us go through that time and Revelation three and ten, when you when you look at the the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, they talk about churches, the church at the church at Thessalonica, the church of Laodicea, and it corresponds with the church age. I don't believe some people believe that the churches of Revelation are uh, are certain time periods of the church age, but, but in that uh, different churches represent different centuries or decades of the church age. I don't really think that. I think every church that's talked about in this church of Revelation, to seven churches of Revelation, are churches that are like and churches could be like that today. The church of Ephesus, the church of Pergamum, And so, what I'm saying is, there were actual churches. They don't necessarily represent church periods, but they represent churches that have problems like our churches today. And so, we could correspond to any one of these. It doesn't have to be in the 1500s or you know earlier in history. And so, he talks about the churches of Revelation uh, in Revelation and two and three, and then when you get to chapter four, and after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet and and talking with me and he said come up hither and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter and immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and so chapter two and three is the church age what's happening is on the earth, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, Uh, a synopsis of different churches during the time of what we call the church age. But then the scene changes in chapter four to heaven. And many believe that uh, that's a sign that we have removed ourselves from earth, those that are Christians, and we've went to heaven. The rapture is the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you shall not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. We've already read this, but it's a different point we're making First 1 Thessalonians For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, of the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be at the Lord. And then down later in the chapter 5, he says, for, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. something before, not going through the time. But the second coming includes the removal as an act of judgment. Then shall, we, then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And two women shall be grinding at the mill, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. This is what we mentioned before. And so, during the trip, we go in the air. During the, the second coming, the armies of armies from heaven come with him. It's the saints, and and at that time, at the, that time, the lost are going to be removed, and the saints are going to stay at the are going to stay grinding uh, whatever they were doing. This is clear as mud today, isn't it? Uh, point four. Here, here's where I want to make some commentary. First Corinthians 15, the rapture will be secret and instant. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth the corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpets shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. And so, it's instantaneous. It's a, a twinkling of an eye. But when it talks about the second coming, behold, he cometh with the clouds and ever I shall see him. It's not secret, it's not quick. And if ever I sees him, I mean, we could speculate on this, but if ever, if ever I sees him, if this is the globe and the globe is rotating, well, if he comes, and he comes to the Western Hemisphere, then every eye's not going to see him. Unless it's all on CNN, which I doubt it will be on CNN. In fact, I would presume that the people on CNN is going to be scrambling to get out of there. But and so it's possible that his coming is going to be so slow that the earth will revolve once Unless you believe in the Flat Earth principle, and you know there are some independent Baptists that believe in the flat Earth. Well, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I, I tend not to believe that. Ever I shall see him in Matthew 24:29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and so the tribulation has taken place. The sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Just imagine that, that the moon quits shining, the stars quit shining. All of the Milky Way is rattled. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. But I want to uh, look at here. In, uh, what, is, uh, what is the land? Sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed now, there's a couple of ideas here one of them wrong. Uh, uh, last trump we know that Revelation Revelation talks about the seven trumpets And the last trumpet in Revelation really begins in the, uh, the, here's a a seven, it's it's in a seven-year period. But in the midst of the seven-year period, uh, things really ramp up. It gets more intense. And so there are some people who believe that when this last trumpet of Revelation, the seventh trumpet sounds, that that is when the saints will be raptured. It's called the mid-trib uh, rapture, that we're going to go through half of the tribulation. But but the last trumpet doesn't have to refer to any anything that's happening in the seven trumpets of Revelation. What would happen, if you go back to... Uh, back into Numbers, I think it was 19. But it talked about when the camp of Israel moved, there would be a trumpet sounded for them to break camp and get ready to go. And then when the final trumpet was sounded, the last trumpet, they moved out. They started moving. And so what I think is talking about not anything about the tribulation time and the trumpets of Revelation, but it's talking about it's time to go. The last trumpet will sound, and we've moved. we're moved. We're we're taken out of this place. We've we've moved on, And in a moment, in twinkling of an eye, very rapidly. But with the second coming, it's not in a moment, twinkling of an eye. Ever I shall see him. And he's going to come down, and the sheep will be separated from from the goats. The bottom of the page. The second coming of Christ will not occur until after certain other end time events take place. Second Thessalonians two Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there's there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he is as God setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that He is God. Well, when it talks about the rapture, there's nothing that we look for, there's nothing that we look for. It doesn't say, this has to happen and this has to happen, and then the rapture is going to take place. No, the rapture could take place today. But when it talks about the second coming, the man of sin is going to be revealed, the Antichrist. And it says there that he's going to set himself up as God and be in the temple. In Matthew 24, 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoso read, let him understand, that let him which should be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. The abomination of desolation, I think, is referring to him setting himself up in the temple. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, And woe unto them, of his child, and to them that give suck in those days. But I pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, not ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened." Then shall I say unto you, Lo, here! Then, if any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. Inasmuch as, as it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore I shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber. Believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For whosoever, shall, uh, whosoever, for whos, for where, whosoever the carcass is, there shall be the eagles, eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall be a give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and there shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven." And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. The great tribulation. But the rapture, as we've already pointed out, has no signs. We're not looking for something. That this is going to have to take place before the Lord returns. Titus tells us, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing for the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for good things and not the tribulation things. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you saw not, even as others have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible have put on incorruption and this mortal have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so why is it important to get this two comings in view? If the rapture and the second coming are the same, then believers are gonna go through the tribulation. If the rapture and the second coming are the same, then the return of Christ is not imminent. There are many things which must occur before he can return. In describing the tribulation period, Revelation six through 19, nowhere mentions the church. During the tribulation, also called the time of trouble of Jacob, God will turn his primary attention to Israel. The rapture and the second coming are similar, but separate events. Both involve Jesus returning, both are in time advance. However, it's crucial and important to recognize the difference. In summary, the rapture is the return of Christ in the clouds to remove all believers from the earth before the time of God's wrath. The second coming is the return of Christ to the earth to bring the tribulation to an end and to defeat the Antichrist and his evil world empire, there's a verse. Um, I'll just have to reference this. I don't have it. Uh, so, so if there's two events, and and the rapture. Uh, okay, the the rapture takes place, and. All the saints, all the saints go to heaven, they meet the Lord in the air, and then it says, so shall they ever be at the Lord. What happens, what happens to the lost, friends and family? of the saved. Um, Well, there's difference of opinion on that. I don't believe that the Lord is gonna leave the uh, innocent babies here. We have kind of a, uh, a reference to that when David said that the baby that died couldn't come to him, but he was going to go there, that uh, they seemed to be in a place of being safe, but not necessarily saved. But what about others? Well, the Bible uses a verse, and uh, maybe you can help me find it. It says that God's going to send them a strong delusion that they might believe a lie. Um, I don't know if it's in 2 Thessalonians 2.11. My traveling concordance, Brother Chris. I guess I probably should look at my watch here. Okay. Second Thessalonians 2 and 11. Okay, look here. Um, verse 7 of Second Thessalonians 2. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, and only he who now letteth will let until he is taken out of the way. That seems to be a reference to the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the world, as some believe. It's quite possible that he that led that holds this world together, that's taken out of the world, is talking about the saints, that Christian people have an influence in this world. And, they shall, and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Remember, we saw him fighting with the sword of his mouth. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might, that they might be saved." so some people who heard the gospel, maybe these people here, they'd heard the gospel, you'd witness to them. They didn't receive it. They didn't love the truth. And he says, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Whatever that means or whatever time period it's talking about is neither here nor there. If you've heard the truth, you have a responsibility to respond to the truth. And if you don't, you're going to be damned. And the gospel never, never returns void. It either softens your heart and draws you or it hardens your heart and you drive it away. It's important, it's a, it's a critical thing of how we respond to the gospel. And uh, let's just remember that God is not an old man with a hat in his hand and he's waiting over here in the corner and, and he's, uh, you know, wanting you to respond to his invitation and he hopes that you come and that you'll be with him. and No, actually, I understand the wording that we use when we say we're going to give an invitation. But I think if you study out the Bible, God doesn't give invitations. He gives ultimatums. You either believe him or you're going to die in your sins. And he, and he uh, reaches out in love. The ultimatums are, are just saying this is the way it is but he doesn't do it or else kind of thing but it is an or else kind of thing and so um, i'm not the best at teaching prophecy but i hope at least you can see that there's some different wording here that some are meeting him in the air and they're going to forever be with him and then then he's coming back with With those clothed in righteousness, fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints, that is going to—he's going to come back as an army and immediately overthrow this world, and then there's going to be a period of him ruling and reigning, and so the best explanation that I have is that uh, there's two comings, and one seven years before the other one. So next week what we're going to do is we're really going to try to challenge you and me. Are we really, are we really watching, he used to watch the command and be ready. How much of our plans would be interrupted and our great hopes be interrupted if he came back tomorrow? What are we? What is our primary focus? I'm not saying that we should go into the mountains and become, you know, recluse and the Lord's coming back, and many people have done that and, and showed themselves to be stupid in doing that. But I am saying this what's the first on our list? And when we say, if the Lord willing, you know, sometimes we use that just as a catchphrase the Lord willing, the Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. But really, if the Lord is willing, it should be the idea that, that uh, he could come and uh, we'd be forever with him. I guess as you get older, uh, there's actually fewer and fewer things that push your buttons in this world. But the great thing is the Lord's coming. And we'll be forever with him. And so, you know, it tells us in Timothy that a good soldier, a good soldier doesn't get himself entangled with the affairs of this world.